Have you ever felt ashamed, unworthy, insignificant, alone? You don't have to stay there. Hi, I'm Sarah Malinowski. That's the reason for my new book, You Are Priceless. 22 women share their story of brokenness and shame and then restoration through the mighty work of God. I, like many women, now understand that there is nothing I have done or could do that can keep me from God's love. You Are Priceless is a message of hope written by real women like me who've been through the darkest valleys of life and then finding redemption and purpose waiting on the other side. In the eyes of God, you are priceless. I am priceless. I am priceless and not for sale and neither are you. Go to thepricelessjourney.org today to get a copy of You Are Priceless and to find out how you can help provide life-transforming resources to women across our city, thepricelessjourney.org. So I know some of you have heard Kanda or I share, talk a little bit about the priceless journey. And I know sometimes we make the mistake of, of thinking that doing that makes you understand what it is. <laughs> you know, and, and, and some people just know, okay, I've heard of the priceless journey, but I don't really know what is it. Um, Sarah, who you heard her voice in there, Malinowski, um, she is an author. She's authored nine books. And several years ago, God spoke to her and told her, I want you to write a book designed towards freedom um, that we can use in several different ministries to allow women and men, children coming along, all of this, but starting out with women to see their value, to see their worth according to my word, not according to what they've gone through or what the world has told them. And so she's like, Lord, and the first part of that was it was geared towards uh, victims of sex trafficking and um, those in, in the, that industry. And she's like, God, that's, I don't have a grid for that. Like, that's not my story, you know? And so she's like, this is just way outside of, like, my realm of even understanding or knowledge. And he's like, no, I want you to do this. And so that's kind of a little about she, she started with a Tampa book that was where she lives. And, and it was the voice of those women, women in that location of what they'd gone through, their stories of redemption. And through the book, it's just, it's the gospel message of your identity, from front to back. And um, so a little background of Sarah and I, interestingly enough, how God just orchestrates everything in the way that you just are like, (laughs) (laughs) because um, two years ago, I think it was that she came out with the national book. And when she had posted something or she had posted the Tampa one, she had posted something on Facebook about it. And her and I knew each other briefly back in the day, and she was in my youth group when we were youth leaders, and then I was kind of on the end of, you know, she was on the end of her senior high, and then became a youth leader, so then we were youth leading together for a short time, just enough to get to know me and how weird I was, basically, um, and and so, she, you know, we, we were connected on Facebook, but we really weren't connected, and then she posted but leading up to that, I remember I was telling Kanda, the only way I can explain why God built a connection in me to this is I remember back in high school, and I had this fire in me about abortion. I don't know where it came from. I didn't have any experience or didn't know anyone or didn't, you know, it wasn't anything on my grid. It just this fire inside of me, and I just, it was like God gave me this voice to speak for those that couldn't. I went to all the conventions with the lady that ran the Lakes Area Pregnancy Center where I, li- I mean, like, I was in it. 
And I was passionate about it, so passionate about it in speech in school, I actually did it on abortion. And it was amazing to see how God used that because I just brought truth. I wasn't arguing. I just, I just presented them with truth, and I was so floored at how many people didn't know truth of, like, what was going on in our world. And so I kind of equate it like, I can't explain to you why I'm in this journey in this other than a few years ago, God really started to do the same thing with, like, sex trafficking and those that were, had been abused and those that had somewhat I have gone through some of that. But it was like this, I really had this fire of, like, I want to do something, but what? Like, I don't really know. I, can, I don't feel like I should start a ministry or I don't really know how to reach these women or where they are even. You know what I mean? Like, but I don't know what to do with this, but I just had this thing inside of me. And then I remember um, even before coming to this church, I had, I literally saw her post on Facebook about doing a book for Tampa. And, and we were re- reflecting on this, and I was like, I don't know what made me message you, but I literally messaged her the same day she posted, and I said, we have to have this for Minnesota. And it's just, I just, that's God. It just was something that God just was like, I have to do this, and, you know. I'm not a jumper like Kelsey, and so I know it's God because typically I'm very methodical and plan things out, but I literally messaged her, and I was like, we got to have this book. What do I do? I got, she was flying in. I got her together with Pastor Natasha before we were at this church, and then our pastor from the Harvest, and just said, you know, would you be interested in this resource or helping us come, you know, bring us together? And then... Flash forward to it was a uh, little over a year, two two years in January, where I kind of first met Natasha, and then you flash forward to what I had no idea what God had planned and all of that, and then them them asking me to come and lead worship, and then we literally came. We just remembered how this was orchestrated, how we connected. We were at the same service here the first time, the very first unbeknownst time. to mm-hmm. each other. She reminded me that you pulled me. I was It was you my first Sunday. Right she made me sit up front, and yep. she pulled me for prayer for her. Yeah, because I had been prayed for. I was out on the ground, and, and you said, go pray for her. So she and I'm was like, praying over me. I've never even been here we before, and she's asking me to pray for somebody. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. So I mean, like, I, I'm like, I'm not a jumper. What am I doing? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. And it was so funny. I was like, that is just God's connection of all the pieces, and then Literally, she knew what I was doing with The Priceless Journey, which all I was doing was putting a book together. In my head, that is literally all I was doing. And God knew putting something Putting a book more together meaning... For Minnesota. Collecting Collecting testimonies. testimonies. Yes. yes, that's mm-hmm. all I was doing is just helping orchestrate all of this. So Natasha, do you want to do, take that yeah. part? Okay, so here I am, come to Minnesota from Florida. Um, you know, some of you may have heard a little tidbit of this, so I'll, I'll kind of jump over it. I was in Florida for several years, wasn't planning ever to come back to Minnesota. It was too cold, not going to do it. And it was funny because I lived right next to Tampa in Plant City, never met Sarah, had no idea who this person was. And so God brought me here. And um, in bringing me here, I was going to Bible school at the time, so I connected with you guys and said, you know, I need some serving time here, so got connected here in the church. And then, um, you know, coming to find a little bit more of my story and, and there's, you know, things that I've been through in my life and I had a story and I knew God was going to use it, um, you know, 15 plus years later, you know, he's choosing to do that. But um, <clears throat> I came and I shared a little bit about who I was and where I came from and what God has done and where he's brought me from. And uh, Pastor Natasha, you had said, I need to connect with Ginger. So with that, <clears throat> I, you know, 
I think I cornered you over there by the closet on the outside. And I said, uh, Pastor Natasha says, I need to talk to you. And so we ended up having a coffee date at Common Ground. And I knew from that very moment that there, something was formed there. There was a good friendship. I didn't realize, you know, the, the depth of it or the width of, you know, what all it would entail. But um, you listened to me, and you said, you know, in all of my sharing and just kind of, bleh, there it was, <laughs> that, um, you know, I need to contact you with Sarah. So I connected with Sarah, and um, in connecting with Sarah, I just had a brief phone call with her and, and explained a little bit about, you know, my story and, and where I came from. And um, she says, you need to um, be connected with the 700 Club. So she put me forward to that. She asked me to write a testimony for the Minnesota edition. And then from there, it just kind of, <clears throat> you know, grew into... Snowballed. You, well, there's that. <laughs> That's what you call yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> it just kind of grew more and more. We ended up going to... Um, where was it? It was the Fa Just Faith Summit. Yep, actually, it was a convention. Um, we went down to uh, Bethel University, and they had a convention there, and that was more geared towards sex trafficking. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I've shared my story. You know, it's going to be in a book. I'll figure out the 700 Club thing later whenever they contact me. And then, you know, we'll go down there, and I don't know what this is like. Like, I went down there, you know, a blank slate, and I told the girls, I said, I don't know what to expect here. You know, I've done conventions before, different kinds of things, um, some, you know, um, sales or whatever it may be so I'm like I have no idea what this ministry really is about I mean I'm just seeing them but but who are they really you know what I mean who who are they behind the the um, the website and behind the pamphlets and behind the book who are these people really and what's it really all about because I'm always looking for that you know and um, so I went down there and actually met Sarah in person for the first time and really got to hear her heart and um, the fact that she, again, like Ginger said, she didn't come from this, but she just was obedient to God, and she just said yes to what he wanted her to do, and she stepped out in faith, and she did that thing, and look at where it is today. I'm, I'm still blown away at that at times. But I got to, in meeting her and hearing her heart, it was the heart of the Lord. She was really 100% in following everything that the Lord has for her. She doesn't want to go too fast. She doesn't want to go too slow. She's very intentional in her timing and purposed in her relationships and purposed and intentional in her relationship with God. She finds it an honor and a privilege to be used of God, as I know we all do. But um, she just makes sure that what she is hearing um, is from the Lord. And, and, and she doesn't want to misrepresent and doesn't want to step out of his will. So I appreciated that in her. And, um, and then getting to know Gender a little bit more and talking about this. I think we stayed up the first night till probably like midnight. Um, just talking about different things, and the Lord was just showing me different things about this ministry, and I'm like, okay, this is cool, but I still don't know what this is going to be all about. So I think it was the next day we ended up going. They had different sessions for um, different speakers, um, people coming from different walks of life, so on and so forth, sharing testimonies and resources. And I walked into one of them, and I just, I, I felt the presence of God just completely, I mean, I was wrecked. I was bawling. I'm like in a in a place, and there's like 500 people, and I swear I'm the only person crying my eyes out, can't stop, making a fool she of myself. She was a hot mess. It was awesome. I was. It was great. I mean, I was really, he was undoing me for his purpose. He was breaking my heart for what broke his. And um, at that point in time, I knew some way, somehow, that he was connecting me to this ministry. 
And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was an unbelievable feeling. You know, I can't explain just, you know, hearing the stories from other people and just feeling how he feels about those people and what they've been through and how he's using them and how he wants to reach out and touch others. So that blessed me so much um, just to be able to be there that week. Um, you want to talk about it going more into it past that? Yep, and just to clarify a little bit, the, the Priceless Journey exists really to develop resources to allow people to step into greater freedom. And we don't reinvent ministries. We literally develop resources that come alongside those ministries and can reach beyond what they can reach, just what they're doing. And so the Minnesota book does that, and that's why I was passionate about it, was I want to have this book. We've got women in this church who have given their testimonies for this book. There's no names in the book. They're, um, they're so that when you read the book, you see your story. And you're like, that is me. And the reason we want this book in the, in the hands of women, especially in Minnesota, is because we want opportunities for them to find Jesus. And there are so many testimonies regarding the book of Tampa, and I can't wait until we have those for Minnesota, of freedom that's come, whether it's somebody handed it to them. I just have this vision of, like, I'm an Aldi, and God prompts me. I have books in my car. I give them a book. I mean, it's just little things like that where we want people to have them. We want um, Mary from Titus 2. We've talked to her. We want to be able to give her 200 books so she can filter them through her ministry. And we want to come alongside these ministries and just equip them Mm -hmm. and empower them to reach further than they already are. And connect. I mean, we want to link arms with people. We're not, again, trying to reinvent the wheel or be the top dog in anything at all. What we want to do is we want to join arms and we want to say, look, this is what we can do together. If we're together, this is what we can do. And I feel like that's what God really wants to do, especially in these last days and times, is he wants us to come together. His desire is for us to be unified, whether it be in the church ministry, outside the doors, wherever it may be, because there's going to come a time here where he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to call us to cast that net, and we need to make sure that we're linked solidly. So that's what we want to do as well. We want to join together with others. I want to take a lot more time on this, so I'm going to kind of talk really fast. So my role for The Priceless Journey has become, unbeknownst to me at the beginning, I was just helping with the book, is I am the public relations director for The Priceless Journey. (laughs) And I am still a little reeling about all that God is asking me to do because it's so far out of, I did not go to school for that. I did not. I don't have any schooling. Yet there is a gift set that God has given me that I have been prepared to use in this setting that I just feel, God, I am way be- this is way beyond me, so that's why I know you're going to get all the glory because I'm just stepping into it. And the same with Kanda. Mm-hmm. Kanda is um, the director of city development, and her and I really work side by side together just on bringing this book together and then on what's God going to do. We've had opportunity to go talk in, in Crosby to share mm-hmm. testimony. And that's what we're hoping will happen with this book, that we'll be able to go and we'll be able to share. And then that church or that ministry will want the resource. And then we can start filtering it through. I have a big dream mm-hmm. for this area. I literally mm-hmm. want, in Tampa, they have two books in every squad car. Yep. I would love to see that happen, not only for Alexandria, but for the state of Minnesota. I don't know how to do that. But he does. Right. And we can't do it on our own. Right. And that's why I love that our church is supportive. We get to come here. We get to just share what we're doing outside Mm -hmm. of this building. And you guys have part of that. And, you know, there's some ways that you guys can, you know, come alongside of us. And I don't want to take any time away from what Kanda is going to do. But the website is really going to give you basically 
everything you're going to need. If you go to the priceless journey, there is areas where you can, oh, that's not the right slide. Um, you can give. You can become a ministry partner. Mm -hmm. um, you can help with specific things like the Spanish edition that we're already working on. Right. Um, you can um, help fund the Minnesota book. So you can literally click on there. You can donate through there. You also can, you can give today. And then um, you can share your testimony. Mm -hmm. So even though the Minnesota book, all the testimonies are done, we're literally waiting on artwork mm -hmm. and pastoral letters. And these pastoral letters that will be in the book are letters really inviting those women when they get to that back of the book to a, to a relationship with Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who is this person who wants to set me free, who's done all this for these women, and they're ready to walk into that, and that's the hope. Um, and so there are many, many, many ways to get involved. Pray. Yes. <laughs> Pray yes. for us. Pray for the ministry. Um, I think that's all I have. I'm going to hand sure. it over to Kanda now because okay. she's, she's got an awesome word for today. So. Chase, you can take it. Okay. And just to kind of give a little bit of a um, background of, you know, what I'll be doing here as far as um, city development is, as Ginger was saying, she has a big vision, and we know God wants to do something in Minnesota. And what we're learning here as we're doing and going is um, we're kind of putting steps together how we can duplicate this in other cities. Um, there's been talk already, LA, uh, Nashville, different state editions. Um, we want to be able to put together teams as we come in and, you know, um, find the needs and then put the teams together so that they'll be able to duplicate and run as we leave and go on to the next city. Um, there is the Spanish edition coming out. I believe there's also works of an Ethiopia for in Ethiopian. And then um, as well as Sarah was contacted by some folks in Israel and they said, we really need this in our language. We need, our women need to hear this. And so it blesses me, blows me away. I'm just loving it. The one thing that I will say really quickly is I do want to share, you know, with the books, it's so important. Um, we need these books. Um, we really need these books, and so do the people that receive them. Just to tell a quick story, there was a lady that was in Tampa, and she was 56 years old, and she received the Tampa edition of the book, and she read it cover to cover many times. You know, the book cover was tattered, but she was able to finally, at the very end, of the book, there was resources and she could reach out. She reached out at 3.30 in the morning and was rescued. She'd been trafficked since she was a young girl. That's some of the people that we're trying to reach. But the other thing is, is that, you know, we all have a story. We all have things that we're going through. We've all had things in our life that have tried to attach to us. Um, you know, just sharing briefly without going into too much detail, again, I've shared similar um, story at one point here, but, you know, there were some things that I went through in life as a younger person. Um, at home, I felt a lot of blame. Uh, I felt shame, guilt, condemnation, all those things. Um, and it, those things affected me, whether they're words or whether, you know, somebody else has said them to you or whether it's something, it's just a thought that you have that you decide that you want to receive. It makes a difference in our life. So um, the main thing that, you know, I really kind of want to talk about is not accepting those words. And I want to talk about really who we are in Christ, because that's really what it comes down to. Whether it's in that book or whether it's in this book, that's what it comes down to. Um, who am I? Who does God say that I am? Um, I didn't always know what God said about me as a younger person. You know, I grew up in a, in a home that was denominational. And for me, um, he was this God that was 
foreign, far away. I was never going to, you know, achieve goodness anywhere in his vocabulary definition of it, you know. And um, I saw some things, too, that I thought were, okay, you said that, but that's not exactly what I'm seeing. And so um, for me, it was a little hard to swallow. You know, I, I didn't want to do that. But um, so I really didn't have a concept of what God's word was. So I just chose to believe the things that were said to me. And um, like when I was younger, um, in my home, and, and you know, I know my parents loved me. Don't I want to first say that. I know they loved me. But what I heard and what I felt, sometimes that's two different things, you know. So I always felt like I was blamed. So that was kind of like part of my identity, who I was. Everything that could go wrong and would go wrong, that was me. Even though it wasn't, that's how I felt, and that's the feeling, so that's what I identified with. And then, on top of that, then there was disapproval. Like, there wasn't really too much that I could do right. I didn't feel approved. I didn't feel like it really was a big deal. I also felt very insignificant. I felt small. You know, like the things that I would do or the things that I would try, it didn't really matter. Who was I going to matter to? Very, very insignificant. Whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, it's just insignificant. And in that, again, my parents told me they loved me, but I felt that unloved. Because sometimes even when they say words, sometimes the actions might show a little bit different, and it's not their fault. Sometimes the enemy will just get in our heads and want us to think things, even if somebody's doing all the right things. So it's what I chose to believe. Didn't know any better. In that, I also felt very, uh, let's see, insecure in who I was and where I fit in life, all that. Um, and... I remember hearing one time, and I know it was just probably out of the, you know, heat of the moment, but um, you're just never going to get it. You're just never going to understand. So I felt dumb. I didn't understand what somebody was saying. I didn't get it. It didn't matter. I heard those words, and I took it right to the heart because I kind of always used to wear my feelings on, this, on my sleeve. So that was growing up as a child. Um, there were other things that happened. Um, there was uh, molestation. I felt um, uh, unloved in that. You know, um, like if this person really loves me, especially somebody I knew as a family member, why would they do that to me? Um, I felt very insecure at times that I was around that person, just in a you know physical way, um, and I, I felt blame in that too. Like that somehow was my fault. What did I do to make that happen? So I just kind of carried that, and I kept wearing my tags. And then there was a time when I was um, 12 years old, and I was um, diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. don't know if you know anything about that. I didn't know anything about it at 12 either. Um, all I knew is that I was really sick, and I was... Um, you know, losing a lot of blood at the time and, um, you know, just dwindling down in my weight. And I moved from Tennessee to Minnesota. And so I had this big old honking accent, you know. <laughs> and yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, all the time in school because that was what I was taught. 
But um, so with all that transition time and then being sick, with the, the disease, I was uh, made to take um, cortisone and prednisone. So it was a medication that makes you gain water weight, like really fast. I don't know if anybody's ever taken it, but, you know, yeah. So um, I went from 62 pounds the end of sixth grade over the summer, because I had to spend a two-week stint in the hospital, my hemoglobin was six, should have been 13 kind of thing. They were telling my parents they didn't know how I was going to come out of it. But I gained so much weight going back into seventh grade. It was 151 pounds. I had glasses because it caused astigmatism in my eyes. And then my mom bought me these canary yellow um, bib overalls. Back in the 80-something, that was supposed to be really cool. Not cool, I'm telling you. Not cool. So I went in, and I walked in, and I remember, um, you know, Central, walking down the hall, and I remember being so scared, like nobody recognized me. And I walked into my class, and I sat down. Because in sixth grade, you know, I came back with this accent. I was kind of popular, you know. I was popular down in Tennessee. It was okay. But I came back in seventh grade. I sat down. Nobody said anything to me. Nobody looked me in the eye. Nobody recognized me. But when the teacher called and he said, you know, my name, and I raised my hand, I said, here, you can almost hear. <gasps> and everybody turned their head because they had no idea that that was me. And so I would go to lunch, and I would sit, I would walk to the lunch line, and I would hear these people say, you're fat. What do you need a lunch for? Don't you eat enough? Or I would try and go sit down at the table, I remember on those first few days anyways, and they would be like, go sit at the fat table, you're not sitting with us. And it was the kids I hung out before that were popular, you know? So those words got me. So I started to feel fat. And then, because they were mean to me and making comments, and I actually heard ugly. And so then after that, I just started to feel lonely, like nobody wanted to be my friend. I didn't have any friends anymore. Unacceptable. Like there was nothing that they would accept me. Nobody would accept me, it felt like. And very, very inadequate. But I also felt like there was absolutely not one thing that was special about me at all. Now, these tags that you see here, even though they're twine and they're just cardstock paper, it's heavy on my neck. I'm feeling the weight of that right now. Can you imagine in the spirit how much weight you feel? You know, somebody that used to look up and be all happy and all of a sudden they're looking down at the ground just walking through life. You know, they're not focusing on where they need to be focusing, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I had these tags going all through life, you know, and I felt that. And then because of that, I felt like a failure. And because of all that stuff that I tried to hide down inside from all the abuse when I was younger, I felt guilt, so much guilt. And I felt shame. And I felt unworthy of love or much anything else. And because of all that, 
in my body at the age of 19 years old. I was having anxiety attacks all the time. I was feeling anxious because all this stuff was in here and I didn't know how to do anything about it. I didn't know what to do about it. You know, it's just there. And I figured if I keep stuffing it, if I keep not talking about it, if I keep trying to think good thoughts or just stay away from this person or that person or the other person, maybe these thoughts will get better. Maybe I won't feel that way because my thoughts were becoming my feeling. And then I was beginning to become fearful. Fearful of what was going to happen next. What's the next shoe that's going to drop? Because I felt everything was coming at me. Everything always was coming at me. It's the way I felt. So in that, I was depressed a lot of times. And at the very, very end, I felt hopeless. Like I felt there was nothing that I could do, nothing that I could say that would make any difference. There was absolutely nothing else, nothing left. So then at that point in time, I became suicidal. There were many times that I had those thoughts, and a couple of times I tried to actually act on those thoughts. So I lived my life like this for a really long time. Some of you have heard my story. Um, If you haven't, I'll share that with you at another time. Um, I don't feel like I'm supposed to share that today. But what I will tell you is this, is that going down the road, carrying all this weight, thinking all these thoughts and feeling all these feelings, I made choices after choice after choice. Not everything was my fault or my choice, because sometimes things happen to us that we don't ask for. I didn't ask to be molested. Didn't ask for that. I didn't ask to get sick. Didn't ask for that. But some of the things later on in life, because of the way that I was thinking, were my choice. But what I will say is this. That's when Jesus came. That's when he came at the very bottom, at the very depth of darkness, in the bottom of the very pit. That's where he came. That's where when everything else was lost and gone and I didn't know who I was or what I was going to do, I heard a voice on the inside, that still small voice, I have something more for you, and that gave me hope. For the first time, that gave me hope. So I accepted Jesus because I had, um, I wanted it so bad. You know, I wanted him to come and save me and change me. But you know what? Even as a Christian, I still had some of the stuff. Just because I accepted Jesus at that moment, it didn't change a lot for me. I've had to walk out some things, right? Sometimes you can be changed in the instant, and that's so cool, and I love it. But sometimes you kind of got to walk it out because there's maybe a healing that you need to have, or, or maybe there's some understanding that you need to grasp so that these things don't happen again. But the thing that got me was that I still had all this stuff, but then I began to, to read his words. And I, I began to say, wait a minute, you said that about me? That's who you think I am? That was kind of cool. It was a little bit hard to believe at first, but it was cool. And I also had to listen for his voice, because that same voice that said, I have something more for you, oh, man, I wanted to hear that again. What else? What is it, really? I became hungry for that. Tell me more, tell me more. And then I had to try really hard not to listen to the enemy's voice that other voice 
you know, the one we hear from time to time. And I had to do this. I had to choose that even if I didn't feel it, I was going to choose it. And I was going to choose it till I felt it. <laughs> so the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12 through 14 in the NLT, it says, For we, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will stand firm, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Truth. What is truth? Is that what I've been believing? The weight of what I've been believing? Or is that here in God's word? And 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, We're not human, but we don't wage war. Let me see. But uh, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. Wait a minute. I don't have to believe this. That's it. I'm done. I don't want to believe this anymore. That's not who I'm choosing to be. I'm taking this false tag right here, and I'm done. That's it. I heard a really good friend of mine say, when a thought comes to you, I don't have anything in common with that thought. I don't identify with that thought any longer. So this is one that I really, really like. So if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. It says that in John 8, 3, 6. So now what? Okay, so I've taken off these tags. I've decided I'm not going to live like that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. So, so, then, so then here's what God says. Okay, so, so here I'm going to go. I'm going to look at his word. I'm going to dig into it. I'm going to find it. It says blame. Okay, so for blame, I'm going to see, hmm, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Disapproval. Hmm, okay, disapproval. Colossians 2, 23-24. It says, whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from the soul that it, it um, put in, in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for man. Because guess what? He never disapproves of me. I'm always approved of him. Significance, Psalms 139, 15 through 16. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before you. Before I'd even lived one day, I have significance. He put all that thought and all that effort into planning me. Love. When I'm feeling unloved, I like this one, Jeremiah 31. Three, I'll never quit loving you. <laughs> and never will. Expect love. Love and more love. The message version says that. The NLT says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. And then Proverbs 3.15 says that I am more precious than rubies. Nothing compares to me. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> Feels pretty good. <laughs> I kind of like that. He says, he'll never leave me or forsake me in Deuteronomy 31.6. He said, I've been chosen set apart by God, 15, or John 15 and 16, and then 1 Peter 2, 9 says, I'm a chosen people. I'm a royal priesthood. 
That's pretty all right. I like it. It says, I have been given God's wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and James 1, 5. It says, I am accepted. In John 15, 15, Jesus calls me friend. Man, that's good. I like it. I'm victorious. In Romans 8, 31 through 37, we're more than conquerors. I'm not just a little bit get by, going to make it. I am more than a conqueror. That's pretty awesome. I love it. And it says, <clears throat> Romans 8, 38 through 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that I can do that will ever separate me from him. There's nothing that I can ever think that would ever separate me from him. See, he's made a way for me to come back and get these words right here. That comes in from spending daily time with him. I love this church. I love this church. We get fed the word, but we get his presence too. You get the word and you get the spirit together and you're unstoppable because he has a plan and purpose for every single one of us. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about anybody else, but I was preparing for this, right? And I'm thinking, okay, identity, identity. I'm praying on it and all this kind of stuff. And the very things that I was trying to say were lies were trying to come at me as I'm sitting here trying to prepare this message. I was feeling very inadequate. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know nothing. I'm going to get up here and talk to these people. I'm going to have nothing to say. You know, I, it's like I don't know enough Bible. I'm not good enough. I'm going to stumble over my words. I'm going to sound stupid. All that stuff was trying to come back on me again. Kind of for a while, all these things were coming and I almost wanted to pick it back up again. Because that's what he wants us to do. The enemy wants us to come back and pick this back up again and wear it. But I can't. I don't want to do that. That's not my choice. I've worn that for far too long. I don't want to wear it again. But it's a fight. I mean, it doesn't matter where you, whether you've been saved for a day or you've been saved for you know 25 years. The enemy is still the enemy. And he wants to steal who we are. He wants to steal the plan and purpose and that seed and that, that, that thing that he's placed on the inside of you. He doesn't want it to come to pass. Because you know why? He's scared. He's scared of us. He's scared of who we are and what we can do when we walk in the power and authority that God's given us. That we will lay hands on the sick and we will cast out demons in his name. He's afraid that we'll come closer to God instead of running from him because we feel all this shame will never match up. He's afraid of that. But I challenge you not to listen to that voice. I challenge you that if you've got any tags on here, maybe some of these are yours I just threw down. You know, I know we've had a time of prayer earlier, and I know we've had a time of worship, but maybe there's still something else. Maybe you didn't think of these, that you've been wearing these since you were a little kid. Maybe you didn't think about some of the things that have happened to you that maybe I really haven't shaken off. I just believe God's going to give us a great opportunity to be able to do more of that.
So I'm not going to tell you that this is going to be easy. It's a battle that continues. It happens a lot. But we have to be purposeful and intentional on our time with the Lord. You know, pastor's always been telling me, don't sacrifice your personal time. I say the same thing to you. Don't sacrifice your personal time. Find out who you are and walk in that. He's made us mighty overcomers. We're royal priesthood. We're the chosen people of God. We're sons and daughters, no more children. We are all that he says that we are, and we can do everything that he says we can do. And he's waiting for each and every one of us to stand up and take our place. If you don't know what that is, if you're not sure what God has for you, ask him. Pray about it. And if you know, stay on track. Stay focused. Don't get off track. Keep the voice of the Lord and not the enemy. Isaiah 43, 1 through 4 says, Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you all. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back, trade the creations just for you. Friends, we're all priceless. I'm priceless. You're priceless. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. He will be there for you. He will help you. He will make a way where there is no way. He will break the chains like the song said earlier. There's power in the name of Jesus to be able to do that. And he will give you the identity that he wants you to have if you're ready and willing for that. This is the life that we're all called to. And this is the life that I invite you to.